uh, I counted up as some uh, like 12 or 14 funerals. Um, and I'm sure uh, at some point people get used to hearing these words, uh, but I, I, I use them every time very intentionally uh, because what a precious reminder they are to us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Here it is. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He goes on to say, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. It's a comprehensive list, right? Everything. Everything created, none of those things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It could not separate these that we remember tonight, and it cannot separate us. The God who got them safely home, he is with us, and he will never leave us or forsake us. And then one last verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a verse that reminds us of the future reality that we look forward to and gives us even now a sure and present hope. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me echo those last words. Thanks be to God for the victory he has given through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. He has given us hope. Hope for his people. Hope for us. They are with him even now. and He promises to be with us. Now before we pray, uh, Bill would like to say a few words both in remembrance of these that we've lost and also as a charge to us, the congregation. So I ask Bill, if he will, to come and share with us now. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, just want to share this for a moment. Linda and I were talking uh, the other day, and uh, she made reference to this service coming up tonight, the passing of the saints, and said, what a wonderful blessing we've had. She and I have shared since we came back in 1978 to be a part of this congregation. That's almost 50 years ago, 47 this spring. Um, so half a century almost, we've had the privilege of looking back and going forward now with the people who've been here, many of them, as you know, such as Easton Knight are now with the Lord Jesus in heaven. But what an example they've left for us, a legacy of uh, their faithfulness to Christ and his church, to his word, to the uh, worship of the Lord, to the mission of the church of making Christ known to a lost world. 
uh, loving their family, working in their community. They've, they've just left us a great example, many working in different ways, whether it's banana pudding or whatever. I mean, something as simple as that or singing a solo up here. They, they were committed, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And now they're gone, but they left us that example. And the question is, what do we, the generations that remain behind and follow, do with it? Because we can so easily drop the ball or the baton and uh, not go as we do. Listen to what happened in the book of Judges, chapter 2. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. In one generation's time, they went from serving the Lord to serving the Baals. And we're seeing that in the church across the board today. Uh, in many churches, they no longer preach the gospel, no longer submit to or acknowledge the authority of God's inspired word. Some churches that do preach it preach a watered-down gospel, one that may be what they consider more politically correct or consumer-oriented, make the person the few feel good. Um, and we need the church to be faithful to us, to speak the truth in love, but to speak the truth and to live that truth. And these people who've gone before us did that. And they also had a high sense of what worship, I think, is to be about. And again, I see that being lost in the church you know, across the board today, uh, where we've let the line blur between God the creator and man the creature. Even though we're redeemed creatures, we're still creatures, and he will always be God. And our place before him needs to be one of holy reference. And these who've gone before us have that kind of mindset and lifestyle. And so my prayer for myself and for all of us, I'm not preaching to the choir, I'm preaching to me, is that we'll take their example, thank God for it, and seek to live it in our own lives and pass it on to the generation that follow. Thanks be to God for these who are now with him. Thank you, Bill. Let's go to the Lord in a time of prayer. Father God, as we pause in these moments, we do thank you for these loved ones, these dear church members, these dear family members, uh, these dear friends uh, who were so close to us, who meant so much to us, whose memory uh, is still with us and memories we, we cherish and we share uh, and we remember even now. Uh, and Father, as we consider their loss, uh, Lord, that is uh, still weighs heavily on us. Uh, and Lord, we, we certainly miss them in so many ways, and often it is in the little ways that we miss them, in ways that, that we don't anticipate, uh, in little things that pop up in our day-to-day, -day and we remember, hey, that person did that then. And uh, Father, it's hard. Uh, it's hard to lose those that we love, and as a church, it's hard to lose those that are so faithful to come week after week and to show us the truth of Scripture and so, Father, we pray that in these moments you would comfort us. Comfort us by the truth of your word, words that we have read. Uh, but comfort us also with the truth of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, it is my great privilege to stand here and to say these that we have mentioned tonight. They were resting in you. And knowing that, Lord, it doesn't always take the pain away, but it does give us the assurance. It does give us the hope that they are with you now. And, and this is not the end. Well, we're going to see those loved ones again, but more importantly, we're going to see you. If we are too, are resting in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us that assurance of 1 Corinthians 15. Give us that assurance of 1 Thessalonians 4, the, the things that are coming, that Jesus is going to come and make all things new. And Lord, we look forward to that day. And Lord, as Bill has said, 
Lord, help us to, to take up uh, the truths that these folks believe. Uh, help us to, to live as a church the way that they demonstrated to us over and over and over again. Help us to live for the next generation as they did for us so that these things don't stop with them. That the truth of your word doesn't stop with them. Uh, Lord, give us the, the courage, give us the strength, the boldness to stand on your word. And Lord, we thank you for the examples that we have had in that up until this point. Father, we, we pray that in our church that you would be glorified always, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In this time of remembrance, let's sing together hymn number 546, which does remind us the sands of time are sinking. Days go by so quickly. Let's encourage one another with this hymn, 546. If you're able, please, let's stand and we'll just encourage one another.
Well, now we come to our time of ordination and installation of our new officers. Uh, and as you know, it is my task tonight uh, to give a charge both to these men as they enter into these roles that God has called them to, and to give a charge to you, the church, as you submit to the authority that God has given to them. Uh, now, yesterday about this time, uh, I was giving a charge to a bride and to a groom, uh, and I, I mentioned that to you only to say, as I considered what I would say in both of those places, uh, the full weight of what God uh, required uh, sort of settled in. And what became clear in those moments is that in both cases, whether it is as a husband or as someone who is called to leadership in the church, I need to hear this charge far more than I need to be delivering this charge. And that's true for me, and that's true for all of us who would seek to be leaders, who would seek to be husbands as the way the, the Bible has called us to be. Man, whether you have been leading in the church for many years, or whether you are just getting started in those positions of leadership, we must wrestle with the great responsibility that God has given us. And so, for just a few moments, I want to try to convey that responsibility to you with the hopes that, that it might humble all of us uh, and that it might motivate us to serve him and his people well with the time and with the positions that he has given us. And so, men, I want you to imagine, uh, for whatever reason, uh, you are having to leave your family. Maybe it's military service, maybe it's a job, but for whatever reason, you're going to have to live away from your wife, you're going to have to live away from your children for an extended period of time. Now, if that were the case, think about the things that you would want to do, right? I'm sure for most of us, we would want uh, to make sure that we can make things as secure and as safe for those that we love very dearly while we are gone. So we might set up bank accounts, we might set up insurance policies, we might hire someone to come and maybe to do the yard work or to maybe regularly check on the house and the property and all of the things that we have. We're going to want someone to be there, right? Maybe even more than that, I bet if we had someone that was particularly close to us, someone that we trusted, a relative, maybe a close friend, someone we could depend on to stand in our place. We would go to that person and we would ask them to care for our families while we were away. Again, imagine. Imagine what that conversation might be like. Again, these are the people we love. These are the people we cherish most in all of the world. And so this wouldn't be a half-hearted request, right? This wouldn't be something that, that we would just do in passing. I would say, oh, hey, oh, by the way, I'm going to be gone. Can you take care of my family? No. We're going to want to uh, sit down with this person. You're going to want them to understand just how much of what you are asking, how much it means to you to care for your family. You want them to understand just how much, just how vital the task is that you are giving to them. You want them to feel the full force of the responsibility that you are leaving in their hands. They must 
be prepared. They must be ready to care for those you care about so deeply. Well, men, as we come to this service, as we seek to fulfill God's calling in our lives, we need to remember that what we just imagined is in some way analogous to the responsibility that Christ has given you and me as officers in his church. Now, to be sure, and hear me now, Jesus stands as the head of the church. He has not left us to our own devices. He has not left us unattended. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He has given us his law, his presence. He promises his presence to be with us. He rules from God's right hand. And so my analogy in that way is imperfect. But in his providence, he has set up a government, a church government, He has appointed officers to care for and to lead his church. Think about a passage like 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, you shepherds, shepherd the flock as your chief shepherd shepherds the flock. In Matthew chapter 16, he gives to the disciples the keys of the kingdom. He gives them authority, right? So as we think about that leadership, as we think about what it means... I want you to think about the various ways he describes what he has left in our care. First, he describes the church as his bride. Ephesians chapter 5. I actually used this yesterday uh, about this time. I was reading these words. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Then as you turn to Revelation 19, you see the, the marriage feast of the Lamb. How is that return of Christ described? His bride, the church, is presented to him, holy and blameless. Man, he has left you with the care of his bride. Think about what that means. Secondly, he describes his church as his children. First John. First John chapter 3 and in verse 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And then you turn back to Galatians. Well, didn't mark it. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 4, I'm sorry. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Men, he has given you authority. He has given you care of his children thirdly 
he describes the church as his flock. I've already referenced that passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. He calls the, the elders there shepherds, overseers. Same thing is true in John chapter 21 as he restores Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Then care for my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He's given you care of his flock. Now, none of us are shepherds by trade, I don't think. I could be wrong about that. But some of you may be farmers. And all of us get the gist of this, right? David fought lions and bears for his flock. Shepherds would do anything for their sheep. Again, he has left you with the care of his sheep. And then finally, and there are many references we can make, but finally... Uh, he describes the church as his kingdom. The, the physical manifestation of his rule uh, and what is to come here on earth. Again, Matthew chapter 16. He gives them the, the keys of the kingdom. Colossians chapter 1, he says that he has taken you out of darkness and made you children of the kingdom. Man, he has left you with the care of his kingdom people. And so... We could say, as we try to sum all of this up, we could say, and rightly so, that Christ has charged you with the care of what is most dear and what is most precious to him. His covenant people, those he died to redeem. Now, if we would take that responsibility serious, if we were to give it to someone else in regards to our own family, how seriously do you think that Christ takes it as he extends it to you and I. Obviously, this is no trivial matter. And the pages of Scripture confirm that. I mean, the Bible is clear. And again, if I have not made this clear to you before now, I need to make it clear to you right now. We, as officers of the church, will be judged. One day we will stand in judgment for how we have led this flock for how we have led these people. And on that day, there will be no room for excuses. Again, I'm going to read to you from Ezekiel chapter 34. Uh, this is a passage where God is rebuking uh, the, the priest of Israel, those whom he had put in charge of his people. He says, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, and that they may not be food for them. Clearly, God is not messing around here, right? He intends this to be a serious matter. He is serious about his people. And so, men, I charge you tonight with three things. Firstly, and most importantly, as we ask, how in the world could we sinners possibly do what God is calling us to do here? 
Let me do what Peter does in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let me point you to the chief shepherd. Men, truthfully, the only way we will ever lead well is by looking to and resting in what Christ has done for us. And so that means much prayer. That means much time spent in his word. That means much time spent in worship of him. It means much time living by faith, trusting that he will lead us as his people as we seek to care for his flock. Friends, if we are not looking to Jesus, then we will never do this well. That is the call to trust in him, to rest in him, and to trust that he will lead us in the way that he would have us to go. So first, first and foremost, always look to Jesus. Secondly, I want to encourage you to lead while keeping a careful watch on your own lives and your own families. In Genesis chapter 18, before God sends Abraham out to become the father of nations, he says, first, lead your family. Be a father. Be a husband. And as we look at the requirements for officers, for deacons and elders, one of the first things in both of them is be a husband, right? Be, be a father. Care for your families well. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, it says, Until I come. And he's talking to Timothy, who has been put in a position of leadership in the church. And Timothy is young, and Timothy is probably a lot like me, trying to figure out just exactly what he's doing here, right? This is what Paul says. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. We're going to do that in just a minute. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now there's a great mystery there, and we don't have time to unpack that tonight. But my point is, men, watch yourselves. Live in repentance over and over and over again, running back to the cross, running back to Jesus. The, the simple fact is, We're not going to do it all right. We're sinners. So we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to run back to him. And thank him that he does forgive. We need to live in humility. Humility before each other. Before this congregation. Before God. Watch yourselves. And then thirdly. Take up this call. And do it caring for these people as Christ has cared for them, and as Christ has cared for you. Deacons, that means physically taking care of the physical needs of the church, of the church people, taking care of widows and orphans. And certainly there's a spiritual element to that. But men, you have given, been given a clear call. Care for these people. Elders, means the spiritual care for this flock. Care for them. See their needs. If, if the sheep was wandering and the lion was there, the shepherd would go and he would risk his life to, sh- to save that one sheep, right? 
Well, man, I want to submit to you that the lion, he's out there prowling around. And the sheep are out there wandering around. Don't leave them out there. God has charged you to care for those sheep. Bring them back in. Man, the the truth is, uh, is that the church is made up of sinners. And so sometimes leadership can be frustrating, just like we, I'm sure, can be frustrating to them. But again, consider our position before the Lord. Consider how frustrating we must be to him. And thankfully, he doesn't get frustrated with us. But you get my point. Love these people well. Love them as Christ loves them. And what does that mean? It means care. It means discipline. You know, we live in a world that that does not understand the meaning of love at all. Love means just let people do whatever they want to do, right? That's not biblical love. That may be some sort of love, but it's not biblical love. Love means caring for these folks enough to call them back, to say, hey, you're living in sin, and I love you, and I want you to come back into the fold. It means loving them enough to be with them in the hard places of life. Love them well. Then finally, man, just let me simply remind you that the great joy of this call is that it is Christ's call. And it is his power that leads us. It is his authority we go out with. And it is his faithfulness that will sustain us and will sustain his people. He loves the church far more than we will ever love the church. And so even through our weakness even through our feeble efforts, even through our shaky faithfulness, we can be sure that he will care for his bride. And so, may we lead according to his word, ever looking to him, the one who has called us and who has saved us with his precious blood. Now, to you, the congregation, quickly, three things. I want to charge you to follow these men. God has given them this call. We are not simply saying, hey, do you feel like being a deacon today? Do you feel like being a session member? Then come on down. I referenced the prices right this morning. I'm referencing again. Come on down. Be a part of it. No. We, you, when you elected these men, said, hey, we see in you the truth of this call. We see in you the reality of what God has done in your life. And so that means when you elected them, you said, hey, We will follow you because we believe that God is leading you to lead us. That means submitting to them. Sometimes that's hard. And we recognize that. I said last night in the wedding as I was speaking to the bride, Paul calls wives to submit to their husbands. This is hard. This is not what we like to hear. But it's what Christ calls us to do. It's what he did. All for our sake, right? So church... Submit to your leaders. Respect them. Secondly, respect them. It's not an easy job that they have. It's not one that that they take lightly, I promise. I've sit in meetings with them. I know these men. I love them. They take it very seriously. So respect them. Respect the, the position that God has given them. And then finally, and most importantly, pray for these men. Constantly. In all of your prayers, remember them. Pray for them. Ask God to give them wisdom, to lead, 
Ask God to give them the, 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 the strength that they need to do what's right for you, but also for the church. Follow them, respect them, and pray for them. Well, with all of that in mind, I'm going to ask the elders, any elder uh, that is already ordained uh, or one that is not currently on to come forward, and also to ask Bill if he would to come forward to have the ordination and the installation. Also, the, the new officers, too, please. Thank you, Stephen, for that very good and solid charge, all of us, and especially now to our officers. As they come forward, let me tell you, the ones being ordained and installed to the office of deacon are Sam Cobb, Braxton Dowdy, and Stephen Lofton. Ordained and installed to the office of elder, Bruce Ballard, and reinstalled in the office of elder would be Thomas Macklin. First four questions I'll be asking to those who are actually being ordained and installed. Before I do, let me remember this. You just had the wedding. What y'all are doing is making, as it is, a commitment and vow to the Lord. And in a moment, as Stephen just said, the congregation is going to be asked, do you promise to support these men? So then you're going to be asked to stand. Don't do it, any of us, unless by God's grace we intend to live, live up to that. We will fail. As he says, we'll go back to Christ again and again. But let's see the seriousness of this and yet the joy in it that we can be part of Christ's bride and serve in this way. So asking the men who are being ordained and installed these first four, four questions. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do you confess anew the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and acknowledge him head over all things for the church, which is his body? Do you? Do you reaffirm your belief in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as the word of the living God, the only perfect rule of faith and practice to which nothing is to be added and from which nothing is to be taken at any time or upon any pretext? Do you? Do you accept the doctrines of this church contained in the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms as founded on the Word of God and as the expression of your own faith, and do you resolve to adhere thereto? Do you? And do you accept the government and discipline and worship of the Associate Reform Presbyterian Church? Do you? The next questions are addressed to all of you who are being ordained or reinstalled. Do you accept the office of ruling elder or deacon? in this church, this congregation, and do you promise to perform faithfully all the duties of the office? And do you promise to endeavor by the grace of God to live your life in Christian witness before the church and in the world? Do you? Do you promise to submit in the spirit of love to the authority of the session and to the higher courts of the church? Do you? And do you promise in all things to promote the unity, peace, purity, and prosperity of the church? Do you? And now this addressed to the congregation. Do you, the members of this congregation, acknowledge and receive these fellow members as ruling elders and deacons, and do you promise to give them all the honor, obedience, encouragement, and assistance in the spirit of love to which their office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles them? If so, please stand, and we'll ask the men who are being ordained and installed, if you'll get together in a group and kneel down, and the other elders will come and lay your hands upon them, we'll have a prayer of ordination.
Please be seated. Please be seated. This morning, as we were concluding our morning service, we sang that wonderful hymn, Be Thou My Vision. I felt like I had another sermon as I was singing that hymn as we were concluding, and what a wonderful way to affirm together. Tonight, we have another one of those great hymns that is like a prayer. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. I'm a pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but you are mighty. Hold me with your powerful hand. These hymns are such wonderful testimonies. So let us encourage one another as we sing this final hymn, number 598. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Please stand as you're able and prayerfully sing and encourage one another. <laughs> 